God, we give you everything, God. Every piece, every part. The parts that we're holding on to, God, come and take control. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. We're warm today. Nice. <laughs> I hope I don't trip. Dusty can stand down there because he's tall. I don't feel like I can see everybody. <laughs> so I stand up here. Um, so today we're going to be launching into John chapter 11. Pretty excited. Why don't, let, why don't we just pray real quick? Lord Jesus, thank you. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would be here in our midst. And Lord, it's already evident that you are. Thank you for worship, Lord, that we can just pour our hearts out to you. You hear us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for this miracle that we're going to be talking about today. and Just the humanness, Lord, um, of the disciples and Mary and Martha and and, Lord, we can so relate to them. And I just thank you, Lord, that you've given us this picture of humanity. And, Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would just fall on this message, Lord, that my words would be your words, Lord. You would open the ears of each one of us, Lord, to hear what you have to say today. So come, Holy Spirit. May your perfect will be done in our presence, in our, in our lives. And we just say all to your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. So yeah, this this uh, when I was preparing for this message, um, I was just amazed at how much like these people we are. <laughs> just in this chapter, in the first 37 verses, the back and forth and what's going on and the 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 pain and the whys and how come this is happening. I mean, it, I I just through the whole thing, I was just like, man, this is so our lives. And so I hope I can give you an essence of what the, the, the people were going through at this time, um, because there's just so much here. There's just so much that we can glean from this. And um, we have to remember that this miracle is one of Jesus's last recorded miracles. So we're getting to the end. We're getting to the end of his ministry. And, and so Jesus, in this, this miracle that he's about to do, he is wanting to gather as many people around to see this great thing that he's going to do. And so as we unfold this, we're going to understand what that's going to look like. So I've asked Michelle to go ahead and read our uh, section that we're going to be um, talking about today, John chapter 11, verse 1 through 37. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard, <clears throat> he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? 
If anyone stumbles in the day or walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So we read in this account, what is the first thing that the sisters Mary and Martha do? They send word to Jesus, right? They immediately send out word that their brother is really, really sick. What do we do? And I say to myself, I go, well, I wonder what I do. I call my peeps. I get my advice and prayer from my friends. I, you know, rely on things that I've done before, things that I've worked. But, and then maybe when things start getting really hard, I pray and I ask God and I start seeking God. Mary and Martha show us something amazing here, a great model lesson. Go to Jesus first. Seek Jesus first. Not that having your friends and advice and encouragement and all of that, that's important and is vital. But 
What Jesus, what, what Mary and Martha did is they went to Jesus first. To me, that's really telling of, you know, that's my true source. And so Mary and Martha go to Jesus. And then in verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples that, Jesus, that Lazarus' sickness was not going to end in death. That it's not the end of the story, that this is not done, but that God is going to be glorified through this, uh, through this event. But I'm going to ask a tough question, because I had to ask this of myself, and it may bother some of us. When we read in, in verses 5 and 6, Jesus loved Martha and Mary, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he stay there two more days? Why is it that while Mary and Martha are reaching out to Jesus that he stays a little bit longer? To me, really, Jesus, what are you doing? If you say you love these people, if you say that, that, you, that the, the Lazarus, the one that you love, is, is sick, why aren't you there right away? Why is he taking his time? What does he have to gain by taking his time? Isn't this the age-old question, why God? Right? Don't you ask that? Why God? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why didn't you step into why don't you step into the situation? Step into the situation right now. My friend needs healing. My my child needs to be healed. I need this or that or whatever it may be. Why are you waiting, Jesus? I'm just going to share, really be very transparent with you. I've been faced with this just recently. I've been praying for healing for a couple of my friends for a long, long time. They're part of our congregation. And I have to be honest, you guys. There have been no answers. There have been nothing that has happened. There have been no changes. And my faith has been challenged. Why aren't you moving, God? This is probably what Mary and Martha are thinking, too. Why aren't you here, God? Why aren't you here, Jesus? Jesus is about to do something amazing and miraculous, and they don't really understand or know what's going on. And that's where trust and faith come in, right? Have you ever heard somebody tell you this? God's ways are not your ways. And it's true. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not, our, our thoughts are not his thoughts. What he does is not what we would do. This is a scripture, and it says that in Isaiah 55, 89. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. My, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, this is where faith comes in. The truth is that by that time, Jesus had already been dead. I mean, sorry, Lazarus, who was sick, was already dead. Because remember, they lived hundreds of miles from each other, right? Judea from Samaria and Jerusalem and all these areas, they were spread out. And their only means of transportation was walking, right? So by the time that G if Jesus had left right there, right then, he would not have shown up in time enough for Lazarus to still be alive. But here's the thing. Jesus was up to something. 
he was up to something, and he was creating a situation that they couldn't deny and they couldn't get away from. It may have confused the situation, too, if he showed up just like, a, you know, the next day. Because they would, have, they would have thought in their mind, well, maybe he isn't really dead. Maybe he's just in a coma. But no, he was in a grave for four days. There's no doubting, no denying the fact that he was in the grave. Jesus wants to get everybody's attention. He was being strategic, and he knew what he was doing, and it was for a purpose. That's why sometimes I think, and I know from my own experience, God doesn't answer right away because he's up to something. If we would just trust and believe and hold on that God is still good, God knows what he's doing in this situation, even though I can't see it, God always comes through one way or the other. But can we hold on and wait? Can we hold on and just allow God to do his work? So the news of Lazarus' death would have traveled to nearby towns at that time. And there were a lot of people that were beginning to come. Because remember, the funerals were like weddings back in those days. This was a multi-day event. This just didn't happen, you know, one week or two days or, you know. No, this went on for a long time. Family and friends from all around. People from the towns who knew each other were coming. This was a big event. The crowd was getting bigger and bigger, and Jesus wanted to reveal and do something supernatural and amazing and for everybody to see. That was his goal. Jesus creates this impossible event. There would be no possible explanation for this. It is clear to everyone that Lazarus is dead. He died. Nothing can deny that. In verses 7 and 8, the disciples are relieved that they are at the Jordan. Far, far away. Far, 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 I mean, they are far, far away from Judea. Because remember, they were by the Jordan at this point. But now Jesus is saying, I want to go back there. And his disciples are saying, why do you want to go back there, Jesus? They want to kill you. There are people who have already stoned you twice. Like, literally, we're going to go back into, you know, the rat's nest, so to speak. We're going to put ourselves in jeopardy. These people are your enemies. Why do you want to go back there? They feared death. They were afraid. So what do they do? They begin to argue with Jesus. And we've never done that, right? Just saying. (laughs) Has, ever, has God ever asked you to do something that would cost you? Maybe not, in your, maybe not in your life, like in this account, like to death, and maybe something, someday, who knows, but something like become a missionary or something like forgiving somebody who has gravely injured you or give up advice, whatever that may be and whatever that might look like to you. Would you do it? Moving from Hawaii to Yakima, to help plant this church was a big decision. It cost me. It cost me my family. It cost me my mom and my dad and my sisters and my brothers and my uncles and my aunts and my cousins. It cost me my life from when I was a child. And by the way, come here from Hawaii, God was in it. When God is in it and he asks you to do something, you do it. I don't know how I did it. We're going to find out a little later how I did it. How I did it was... Trusting God. 
What if he asked me right now to give up my retirement? I'm on the cusp of retirement. I'm on the cusp of moving into a different phase of my life. What if he asked me to go and plant a church somewhere else? That would take a lot of trust and faith and knowing that it's God, right? But would we do it? Would you do it? Are you willing to do what God, whatever it is that God might be asking you to do? The disciples are faced with this situation in this point in the scripture. They are afraid. They're scared. I get it. I get it. I can relate. Can't you? Why would you want to go back? They're going to kill you. Their humanity was showing through. And I think that's what I meant when I said, you know, we're just going to see how real these people were and how we can relate to them on a very human, very practical basis because they are, we are so much like them. This is another reason why Jesus was in need of showing them a miracle, something supernatural, something amazing, to build their faith up. Because guess what? He is going to ask the disciples to go into the world, to that world that was going to kill them eventually. They didn't know it at that time, but they knew what, was, what they wanted to do to Jesus, so they could only imagine what they wanted to do with them, right? They were afraid. They were going to go without him. Jesus was going to leave them. They were going to be on their own. They feared that. They feared being thrown out there. But Jesus wanted to build up their faith and their trust in him to say, I am he. I am the one. I don't know about you, but I have been, uh, I would have to be pretty convinced that Jesus is who he said he is. My husband and I talk about this all the time. It's like, you know what? The disciples were with Jesus for three whole years. They saw him raise, raise, uh, heal lepers. He saw them cast out demons. He saw him heal the blind. The lame would walk. The mute would speak and still question who he was. They still didn't understand what he was speaking about when he was speaking spiritual things. People, I relate Sometimes God says things to me, I was just like, well, scratch my head. But that's the beauty of coming into a relationship with Jesus because he takes it. And the beauty of who he is, that he came in human form, that he understands and relates to us. He gets it. He understands. They heard with fleshly ears, fleshly earthly ears. We're no different. My prayer is that I would hear with spiritual ears, that I would get the message that Jesus is trying to deliver. We're in good company, is what I say to my husband. Yeah, we're in good company, because we're no different sometimes. Lord, forgive me for my unbelief. Help me to hear and see with spiritual eyes and spiritual ears what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're calling, right? That should be our prayer. So they are faced again with this in verses 11 and 12. And Jesus tells the disciples that Lazarus was sleeping. To the disciples, this was good news. Okay, he's sleeping. That's good. He's sick. He needs to sleep. Last year I had two hip surgeries. I slept a lot. All the time. Asked my husband. He thought I was a hibernating bear. I would sleep four hours in the afternoon sometimes. Two in the morning, four in the afternoon, and go to bed at eight o'clock. I couldn't believe I would sleep. I could sleep so much. 
But that's what's happening when you are ill, right? You, your body is trying to repair itself. And they're asleep. So the disciples are like, it's good. It's good that he's asleep. He obviously needs to heal. He always needs, needs the extra sleep. They're missing completely Jesus' real meaning. So then he has to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Why did Jesus say that he was glad that he was not there? He tells them that belief is going to come out of this situation, and if they would only believe. It was going to establish their faith in him. Not only would the, the, the disciples' faith and belief grow, but it also for all the people who were coming from far and wide. Jesus had a plan. He had something to accomplish. Remember, this is one of Jesus' last recorded miracles, and he wants to make a big statement so that as many people can see this as possible. I'm going to read something from a commentary that I came across um, while I was doing this message, and it says this. The final proof of the power of Christianity is the sight of what Jesus can do. Words may fail to convince, but there is no argument against God in action. It is the simple fact that the power of Jesus has made the coward into a hero, the doubter into a man of certainty, the selfish man into the servant of all. Above all, it is the plain fact of history that again and again, the power of Christ, the power of Christ has made the bad man good. The design of God is that every one of us should be a living, walking proof of his power. Are we? Are we a living and walking proof of Jesus' power in our lives? Remember, we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I ask myself all this all the time. And why can't, when I lay my hands, what, why does that? It's the same power that we have. It starts with faith and belief that God can do this. No doubting. No doubting whatsoever. It goes on to say this, our task is not to commend others to Christ in words, but to demonstrate in life what Christ has done in us. We are a walking, moving, living, breathing instrument of the only person of Jesus Christ that some people will ever see. We are it sometimes. Does our life reflect Jesus? So the death of Lazarus brought a crisis to Jesus, and he was glad because it gave him the opportunity to demonstrate the most amazing way what God can do. For us, every crisis should be a like opportunity. God in action in our lives. My prayer is that when I am faced with these tough situations or a crisis, that I would ask God, God, what do you want me to learn in this situation? What do you want me to learn? And how can I use this take this opportunity to reflect you? To show other people that who you are, that you are powerful, that you are so powerful that you can use me right here, right now, in this situation. And they're going to go, how did that happen? Man, she was on the verge, and then she came because God, something's different. Have you ever asked somebody, like, what, what is up with you? Like, what's different about you? I don't, I've had that happen several times over the years. Like, why are you 
Why, why is this okay? Holy Spirit, the Lord, Jesus, the ability to walk in his power, the ability to cry out to him and he hears me. And knowing and believing and trusting that he's going to be the one, not me. Because in and of myself, I got nothing. I have nothing. And then there's Thomas. I love Thomas. When Jesus is saying, let's go back to Judea, the disciples could have refused to follow him. Remember, they could have just said, no. We don't want to die. They were scared out of their wits. They were probably hanging back thinking, this seems like suicide. <laughs> then Thomas speaks up and he says, let us two go that we may die with him. In that moment, Thomas displays the highest kind of courage. Because remember that he was scared too. He was scared as well. But what happened was he just said, you know what? I'm going to be loyal to my, my God. I'm going to trust. And he said, he is not going to give up. I am not going to quit. I may not understand it. I may not see how this is going to work out. I might die. I might whatever it may be. But I'm not going to quit. And that's what God wants from us. I have felt like that over the years. You have too. I'm sure of it. I can look at a number of you and know we've had these conversations. Giving up, quitting for whatever the reason, right? It's not that difficult to rationalize the reasons. I can honestly say that there have been hundreds of times I've said, I'm done, I'm quit, I'm out. You can ask my husband. I'm done. This is too tough. This is too hard. Can't do it. But here's the deal. It takes courage, like Thomas, to stay in the game, to follow Jesus, regardless. It takes courage, like Thomas, being perfectly aware that the worst thing can happen, being afraid, and yet doing the right thing. We need not be ashamed of being afraid of what it may mean to follow Jesus or feeling like we want to quit or to give up. Those are all normal, natural human feelings, right? But we may be ashamed of allowing the fear to stop us from following Jesus and doing what Jesus wants us to do and knowing in our hearts what we should do. Not quit. Not give up. Because the opposition is too hard. Because it's really scary. Because the enemy is coming at us from all fronts. That shouldn't make us quit. Jesus comes to Judea and he comforts Mary and Martha. So Jesus is, Lazarus is now dead for four days. And Martha says this to Jesus in verse 21 and 22. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Then Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she says, yes, Lord, I know that. In the second... In, the, second, in the, the resurrection on the last day, yes, I know he's going to. Of course, she doesn't get it again either, right? Sometimes we just don't get what Jesus is trying to say. But that's okay. It's okay. So John, who wrote this whole account, wants us to see something really important here. He wants us to see Jesus' power. He wants us to see how Jesus t told Mary who he was. He wants us to see this. 
And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's a question he's asking her. Jesus is revealing his power to her when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's revealing this to her. I am the source of eternal life. I am the one who has power over life and death, Mary. He isn't saying like, um, look, okay, with the right situation, the right circumstances, you know, I guess I can do a resurrection. You know, I probably could. Or, you know, if you really need me to be the resurrection in life, I, I, I can go ahead and be that to you in this situation. No, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am victory over death and the grave. And at the end of that verse, I want you to see something. He says, do you believe? Remember? Do you believe? He ends with a question about faith. Where's your faith? He doesn't end with, hey, Mary, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. Does that make you feel better? Or are you encouraged, Mary? Does this make you happy, Mary? Does it give you hope, Mary? He doesn't ask her any of those things. No. He says, Mary, the requirement is belief. I am. Do you believe me, Mary? Do we believe him, people? Do we believe that he is God, the Christ? The one that we can go to, the one that we can reach out to, the one who's always there, right beside us. Do we really believe? That's the question. This word belief in the New Testament literally means to trust. It means conviction. There's no wishy-washiness about that. My husband and I were so different sometimes because he's an engineer and he works at, you know, you can't give absolutes when you're working with contractors, evidently. You can't say, okay, this is how it's going to be. And No, he says, Deb, you can't say that because they can sue you. Because I'm so black and white. Just tell them. Just tell them, black or white, yes or no. Not maybe, it kind of, sort of. Jesus is saying here, I am, and I want you to believe. I want you to have faith. I want you to trust. There's no wishy-washiness about it. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the conviction of things not seen. This is not just a thing about gathering some really useful facts. This isn't just looking and saying, yeah, I guess Jesus, yeah, Jesus is Lord. No, this is, this is saying I am, have a conviction of, yes, I believe he is. I believe he can move the mountains of my life. I believe that he is the Christ. I believe that the, the same power that rose him from the dead, I have. It's a conviction of who he is. Do we have that? This is what Jesus is asking Mary. Do you trust me? Do you really Trust me. So I came across this uh, story when I was studying for this message. Have you ever guys ever heard of a guy named Charles Blandina? He was back in the 1950s. He was a tightrope walker. And this is him walking over the Niagara Falls. This is a great story. He would grab a balancing pole and he walked all the way across to the other side. And then he would walk back, blindfolded, and then 
Then he'd go to the other side, and then he'd ride a, a unicycle back across. Then he would take these stilts, and he'd walk across again. I mean, that's just amazing. Like, he'd walk, uh, he, he'd walk across this tightrope, come back with a unicycle, he'd walk back again blindfolded, come back on these stilts. This was kind of, I guess this was a show that he put on. And then the last thing that he did at the end of his, this performance, he would get a wheelbarrow. And he would get ready to walk across, and then he would stop, and he would look at the crowd, and he would go, do you believe I can do this? Do you believe? And the crowd's like, I believe you can do it, yes. Then get in. Get in. You believe I can get across? Get in. Honestly, I don't know that I would. Even if I saw him a hundred times doing that, just the fear of heights alone. But that's a great example of what Jesus is saying. Get in if you believe me. Get in a hundred percent. Get in a hundred and ten percent. Do you believe? Get in the wheelbarrow. I'm the one who's. I mean, Jesus could do it without the, that wire, right? <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but he could. That's, that kind of feels like what we go through life sometimes, right? We're just kind of like walking over this big, huge, empty space, and it's like a free fall fall. And yet Jesus is going to pick us up. Do you believe? Do we believe? If we believe, we don't just say we believe. We act on it. We act on that belief. We don't just muster up this faith, people, because this is the kind of faith that we can't do on our own. This is what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone should boast. It's God's grace. It's a gift of God that he has given us to have faith and trust and belief in him. It is something that when we invite Jesus into our life and we say, you are now the Lord and Savior, I surrender and I submit to you. He gives you the ability to do it. I can remember when I first got on this stage years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago, I was scared. But I said, I'm going to get in every time. I'm going to get in every time. I'm scared. I, I, do I know the word? Am I ever going to fumble? Am I going to? And all of that, Jesus like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. It was like literally walking off a cliff every time I got up here. God can use us if we allow him to. He can change us if we allow him to. In verse 27, Mary says, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. Oh, finally. Somebody believes. Yes, I believe. It should be our answer as well, every single time. So the first thing that John wants us to see is Jesus' power. And in the next session, of uh, verses 33 to 37, John wants us to see Jesus' compassion, Jesus' grace, Jesus' mercy. It gives us a glimpse of the heart of God. In verses 28, Martha goes back to tell Mary that Jesus is asking her, and Mary rushes, and then a whole crowd, the whole crowd is at that house, goes with her, because she, they, they think that, that she's going to the tomb. 
They follow her. And again, Mary asked Jesus, why weren't you here? Why weren't you here when I, when I, when I reached out to you, when I told you that Lazarus was sick? And Mary is weeping. She's crying. And, like, these mourners, like, you know, we cry. And, and I, you know, we talk about death. We have experienced loss in our lives. There's nothing pretty about it. There, there's nothing, you know, when there's grief, it's deep and it's debilitating and it can really overwhelm us. And this is just what's happening. This is the situation. And so we see Jesus here that he's noticing their pain and their sorrow and the anguish. There's, he, Jesus is right there with them and he is overwhelmed with sorrow. This is our Lord, you guys. When we go through hard times, he is in it with us. He is grieving with us. He is feeling it with us. And this is what this is saying. Hebrews 4 says that we don't have a high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is in every respect has been tested as we are. Just think about that. Everything we go through, Jesus has experienced. Temptation, heartache, loss, abandonment, whatever it may be, he has experienced. That's why he has so much compassion for us. He gets us. In every respect, he has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness. Jesus, it hurts. I'm in pain. It sucks right now. I just, I don't understand that person. I don't get this person. I don't understand why they don't like me. I don't understand why we all the things in the world are happening. I don't understand why, I won't go there, why things are happening the way that they are in my life. What's going on, Jesus? I know, I get it, Deb. I get it. I understand. But guess what? It's going to be okay. Come to me. Rest in my arms. Let me be your Lord. Let me take that on. Do you believe that about Jesus in your own life? Do you believe that you can go to him? Do you believe you can go to him that way? Scars and all. Sin and all. Ugliness and all. Warts and all. That's why we're to support one another, encourage one another, build one another up, pray for one another, be there for one another. And when we're not, we're not being like Christ. He wept. What more can we ask for from a God, a Father, a Christ like this? Richard and um, Bob, can I have you guys come up? When we combine the power of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus, it adds up to the fact that Jesus is perfectly personal in our lives. I need for you to do worship. <laughs> You're like, why am I calling you up there? This is who Jesus is. He is perfectly perfect in our lives. Because he has the power to change our life, and he has the compassion to identify with what we're going through. He has the power to change you and I. And he has the power to let you know that it's okay. And he gets it. And he understands. 
Jesus knows each one of us intimately. Jesus knows each one of what we need right here, right now. We're going to take communion, and uh, as we take communion, I just want you to think about a couple of things. He has the power to transfer your life. How do you want Jesus right now to meet you? How do you want him to transform your life? What, is, what do you want him to do in your life that you're not seeing, that you're not understanding, that you're not getting, that he's taking forever? What is it in your life that you need an answer, you need a touch from God? Do you need his power right now? Do you need his compassion right now? Take this time as we reflect, as we're taking communion and ask God what those things are because he's here. He's here right now and he wants to do this for you. He always wants to do this for you. Go ahead. There we go. Okay, so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So um, I think one of the things that I'd like you to do is it mentions this is communion. If you look what communion is, it's actually people getting together. So what I'd like us to do is take communion as a group where we take the uh, elements back and then we wait and we'll do it all together. But the second thing I'd like you to do is really think about if you are by yourself or sitting alone, why don't you join somebody else? And be part of a group where you could take communion as a small group or, uh, you know, as a little as a little group. So let's just go ahead and do that. I'm going to go ahead and why don't you come down. Let's grab the elements and then we'll go ahead and uh, we'll pray. Oh, mm-hmm.
let's do this. Let me pray, and then we'll go ahead and take communion together. Lord, we thank you that you died on the cross and that you live now, and because of you, we live as well. So we just remember the bread, the body that was broken, and the blood that was shed to give us life. And we are grateful. We are very grateful. So God, we take this now in remembrance of what you have done for us. In your little groups, if any of you need prayer, pray for one another. Pray for one another and ask God there are some of you right now that are struggling you really want to hear God for a situation or a circumstance or whatever it may be pray that God would strengthen your faith and your belief and your trust in him we will also have a prayer ministry team up here so some of my people can if you're not praying with somebody you don't see, come up here and um, we will also have a couple of people up here if you need some prayer. Guys, God wants you to hear this, that you can trust him, that you can believe in him. And there's nothing wrong with laying it out before him because he hears. He knows. And so please, if there's anything that's on your heart, let somebody pray with you.
So as you finish up praying, uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss, but be mindful of those that are still praying, okay? And uh, if you have children, don't forget you have children. They're in the back. And have a blessed week. May his presence be with you every day. May you trust him in all of the things you're facing.